What is going on, everybody? A little midweek podcast for you guys, and we'll be talking about some of the upcoming matchups this week, and another main topic, LSU might be coming to open. We're going to compare that to the USC job and see what we got. Let's get into it. What is up, everybody? It is Thursday, October 14th, and I'm super excited to finally be doing my second episode of a single week. I told you guys this was coming, and here it is. And we talked about a lot of stuff last week, but the reason I want to start doing more than one episode a week is because, one, I mean, how can you be a legit sports podcast? So, I mean, one episode a week is just not enough. And I don't want to be rushing all the topics and all the things in my mind into one episode. Um, I want to try to get into you know more details. And I still kind of rushed a bunch of topics into the last one. And now I'm just going to elaborate more on some of that stuff and talk about some other things going on because... There's so much going on every week and so many interesting topics that definitely can't get it all out in one show. So obviously last week, you know, we talked a lot about how the landscape changed, you know, with Alabama losing. I talked about what I thought the rankings looked like now that, you know, Georgia's won and how I don't necessarily believe it's Georgia and everybody else. Like to me, every team has some form of flaws Right, One of the teams that we thought had the least amount of flaws lost. That was Alabama. Georgia does look like the best. I think they deserve to be number one right now for sure. But I don't think it's insane that they could be beaten. Maybe not by anybody on their regular season schedule. Maybe. I don't think Kentucky can do it this weekend. I actually think maybe Florida has a better shot than Kentucky. But I still don't expect Georgia to lose to Florida by any means. But... I think when you look at the landscape, there are teams that, if Georgia played them, I, I don't know, you know. I think Georgia could beat Iowa, but Iowa's defense, they might not be exactly what Georgia is, but they're dang good, man. They're dang good. They really lull, lull you into, into traps. And like I talked about last, you know, earlier in the week, like Georgia's offense, I'd be more confident in Alabama probably beating Iowa than, than Georgia at this point. I you know, probably both would be favored because, I mean, again, a lot of people think Iowa's a fraud and they, they might be, but we don't know. And one, one thing I want to talk about real quick is about how, unfortunately, the way we talk about teams all year kind of ends up mattering when I don't think it should. I think that's very unfair. And the only thing that should matter is resumes and who you've beaten, who you've lost to. And I like the eye test. I understand the eye test, but I really hate relying on it. You know, it to me, it's just not, it's not something that's fair. And we've been burned on it too many times in the past. And it's led to a lot of controversy. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I was listening to Cover 3 podcast, probably my favorite um, college football podcast. I, lis- I listen to a ton of them, you know, basically when it's football season, Whenever I'm working out, whenever I'm working on my computer, whenever I'm doing anything, whenever I'm driving in my car, it's it's college football podcasts are on, right? Always. I'm always catching up on, you know, my Florida State podcast for my team and anything college football, right? I love Andy Staples show. I love the Cover 3 podcast. I love the Solid Verbal, Jeff Cameron show, all of the 24-7 sports. You know, I listen to Buckeye Talk if I'm trying to get on Ohio State. Whoever, I, I could go on and on and on forever, right? Listen to tons of podcasts about college football. And you should too, right? Everybody, everyone's unique. Um, I talk, you know, a lot of big picture stuff. But when I'm looking to get, you know, like real analysis on current teams and, and different data, I go with, you know, some of those ones. Cover three I like because I love Bud Elliott. 
He's really good with data matchup. You know, Tom Fernelli's awesome on there. And I'm a big Danny Cannell fan. I know a lot of people hate Danny, but, and I don't think it's a Florida State bias. I just think he actually brings up a lot of big picture points that I usually tend to agree with. Um, but one thing they were discussing is, you know, different playoff scenarios, which I was excited because now they didn't quite go the direction that I went in the last show where I'm talking about this potential two Big Ten playoff scenario and comparing that to this two SEC scenario, but they were talking about like, hey, obviously, like, look at this scenario where Oklahoma's maybe undefeated, Ohio State and Oregon get in with one loss. They were doing the comparison of, hey, what if Oregon and Ohio State, it somehow came down to them for the fourth spot. They both have one loss. And, I mean, they were all saying something that was really sketchy to me. They were like, well, Oregon would deserve it more, but I think they would give it to Ohio State, which is crazy. I understand why you don't trust the committee. I don't trust the committee with a lot of things, but I think there's been some times in the past where they did not just give it to Ohio State for brand, right? They, they've been pretty consistent. There's were two years where Ohio State they basically said, sorry, Ohio State, you've got the bad loss and you're not going over over this team or that team. I guess Ohio State had two losses in most of those years, but I really don't see how the committee, which again is made up of a lot of coaches, coaches understand head-to-head. I know that Ohio State would have better wins than Oregon down the stretch, but at the end of the day, two one-loss conference champions, if you were comparing them and you had a head-to-head matchup between them, how could you not give it to the team that won the head-to-head matchup? Especially considering Oregon went on the road to Columbus and kind of won convincingly. Not like in a blowout, not but like they controlled that game. They looked good. So it was concerning to hear them talk about that scenario and say, look, they would probably end up giving it to Ohio State, which that's really sketchy. And then they kind of got into the scenario of like, well... What is Georgia going to get in if they lose to Alabama? And they're like, well, yeah, probably they are. And Bud Elliott did something that was surprising to me because he's a very composite ranking guy, right? Like he's the type of guy that probably would have Alabama at five still right now because he looks at rosters and that type of data. And he's like, well, this team's better. And But when they pitched that scenario, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Georgia gets in with one loss over other one loss champs, which I was pleasantly surprised to hear him say because that's kind of my take is like, look, if you're if you got a bunch of one-loss teams at the end of the year, all of the conference champions are going to get the nod over non-champions, right? If I'm 12 and 1 Big 10 champion, whether it doesn't matter who it is, right? It could be Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, whoever it is, I'm going to get in over a one-loss team that didn't win their conference champion, right? Even if that team was a Georgia who maybe was undefeated going into the conference championship game and then loses to Alabama, right? That's I talked about this last week. I don't want to rehash it too much, but a lot of people are thinking, well, no, Georgia gets in. And Danny said something that's very important. He kind of jumped in and he was like, look, the way we talk about teams all year matters. Not that it necessarily should matter, but if we're talking about Georgia as the best team and how nobody can beat them and it's the best defense we've ever seen, and that's the narrative all year, and then they lose to a really good Alabama team, we can't drop them from number one to five or six. It doesn't work that way. And I'm like, look, it does work that way. Who cares how we've been talking about you all year? At the end of the day, we're going to get down to resumes, and I think having a conference championship if you have the same record, yeah, I'm not saying a 10-2 and Pac-12 champion should even be considered over a 12-1 and Georgia who loses the SEC championship game. Absolutely not, right? I think record is most important, but then when you get down to record, having a conference championship should be a trump card. If I understand what people are saying. A lot of people don't give a damn about conference championships necessarily. They're like, look, a 12-1 and or 11-1 and SEC team is better than an undefeated Pac-12 champ. That's how a lot of people look at it. And you know what? Some years, that argument holds as far as like who's literally probably the better team with the better roster, who you would bet your money on. But as I made the argument, you know, back on Monday, we can't decide playoffs that way. That's not how sports work. At the end of the day, All these teams, all 120 of them really, but let's forget the group of five, all the Power Five teams are technically playing in the same sports league. 
right? Some of them are in this conference. Some of them are in that conference. And what you cannot do, I don't think, is say, hey, this conference gets more mulligans. I'm okay with tiebreakers, right? I'm okay with you have a 12 and 1, or let's say everyone's undefeated. Let's say everyone went undefeated. Every conference went undefeated. Obviously, someone has to get left out, right? Let's say you had a year where SEC champ un unbeaten, Big Ten champ unbeaten, Big 12 champ unbeaten, Pac-12 champ unbeaten, and maybe Notre Dame was also unbeaten out there. I'm okay. At that point, you have to go to resume, strength of schedule, and say, look, you're all undefeated, but on paper, we can look at data, and one of you is going to have the lesser resume because we have no choice. And I think you have to do that, whether it's 12-1. What I I'm okay with that. You have you have a 12 and 1 SEC team and a 12 and 1 Pac 12 team that both accomplished the same, maybe they both have conference championships or maybe neither did and it came down to that in some weird scenario. I'm okay with going, well, this SEC team did play some stiffer competition when we look at the the things and and we give it to them. Not because of SEC bias, but because 90% of the time the SEC team is going to have a bigger strength of schedule. Some years maybe not. Maybe that Pac-12 team went on the road and beat somebody out of the Big Ten, like Oregon this year, right? And didn't have, and the Pac-12 was maybe kind of strong. They got some good wins. Who who knows? I'm okay with all of those scenarios. What I'm not okay with is saying, well, this SEC team, just use them as an example, because that's usually where the controversy comes up, is just better. They had a tougher schedule, but they, they, yeah, they accomplished less than that Pac-12 team, than that Big 12 team, but... They're just better. I don't like that. Their roster is just better. They have all the five stars. I don't like that. And Danny Cannell was basically making the argument like, look, if we hype Georgia up all year long, we're basically, as the media, giving them the mulligan to lose the SEC championship game. Especially when you compile that with Iowa all year long, they're more getting talked about as a team that we're just waiting for them to lose. Which, it's okay to have honest, honest analysis, but we can't have that analysis affect what we do at the end of the year. So it's like I've been saying, if Georgia's allowed to go into the SEC title game undefeated and then kind of get a mulligan and you think they should still get in, I'm okay with that opinion, but you then have to make the same argument for Iowa. If Iowa loses the Big Ten championship game to like a one-loss Ohio State, how is that any different than Georgia losing to a one-loss Alabama who fights their way back in it? It's not. It's really not any different, which is why I think the losers have to be left out if you have other one-loss champions out there. Now, there could be a scenario where we have two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams, right? Because maybe Oklahoma finds a way to lose two games. The, the ACC doesn't look, unless Wake Forest pulls off the, the impossible, right? It doesn't look like we're going to get a one-loss or better ACC champion. Clemson probably ends up winning that. They already have the two losses. Pac-12, right? Maybe Oregon drops another game. So does Arizona State, and we get a two-loss Pac-12 champion, kind of like a 2019 scenario. In that case, of course you could have Iowa maybe goes 12-1, and loses a Big Ten championship game to Ohio State by three points or seven points, and then you have those two Big Ten teams playing the two SEC teams. That would be okay. But in a scenario where Iowa and Georgia lose those games, they drop to 12-1, and I'm taking the 12 and 1 team that has a conference title. I don't care if on paper Georgia might be favored. And I know a lot of you are saying, no, no, no. The whole point of the playoff is the four best teams. That's true, but the games have to matter. You can't have a Saturday where Georgia loses and Oregon wins. They both go to 12 and 1. One of them has a conference championship, won their last game against a ranked opponent, and the other one lost, even if it's to a really good Alabama team, and then say, Oregon, sorry, we think Georgia's just better than you. That can't be how sports work, okay? They both have the same accomplishments, and now we have to go to a tiebreaker. Is there a head-to-head? -head? No. Is Okay, who maybe had the strength of schedule? Maybe Georgia wins that battle. But I don't know if Georgia wins that battle. I mean, if you really start to look at Georgia's schedule, who is going to be the best team? Kentucky maybe now? I mean, if Georgia ends up beating Florida, they'll give Florida their third loss. Florida doesn't have any good wins. They just have a bunch of decent losses at that point and didn't beat anybody who was that good. 
right? LSU's not good. That that might be that might be Florida's best win. Florida lost to Alabama. They lost to Kentucky. Let's assume they lose to Georgia. Who's their best win? And there's a lot of teams out there. At that point, is Florida any better than a Wisconsin who just kind of loses to all the teams that are better than them and then wins all the games against that lesser competition that they're supposed to win? I think Florida is a little better than Wisconsin, but I'm just saying, right? That's that's where we are. And what we can't do is say, well, if Iowa lost that Big Ten championship game undefeated, well, they're definitely out because we've been talking about them as a flawed team all year and we kind of were waiting for them to lose. Where Georgia, we've been talking as this awesome team all year, so if they lose, it's more surprising and we can't drop them. That, sorry, we cannot do that. I would. That is appalling to me that we're going that direction. Even though I'm with a lot of people that, you know what, Georgia probably on paper is better than Iowa. Roster, they definitely are, right? And where am I going to put my money, right? Georgia could lose two games and I might put my money on them to beat Iowa. It doesn't mean that they deserve the playoff over Iowa or over these other teams just because of that. You have to just go with what happened this year. And if what happened this year is that another team has... M- the same record as you, and won their conference, and you didn't, I'm taking them over you nine times out of ten. And unfortunately, I think uh, Danny's right in the sense that if we hype it up all year, we're allowing it to happen. So it's kind of on the media to put the playoff, I think, in check. If the media is saying, hey, of course in that scenario, Georgia gets left out to the 12-1 and Pac-12 or, or Big 12 champion. If they're setting that up, then I think the committee's kind of going to have to go with that, which the committee shouldn't be controlled by the media narrative, but I think they are a little bit. That's what sucks. That's why I wish the BCS computer rankings was the committee. I was okay with us going to four teams, but let's have the same exact structure every year and let a, I don't mind a computer mixed with some AP voters deciding like, hey, this is the real data set here. We got way too caught up with the eye test thing. Look what happened with the eye test thing in 2006, right? Ohio State and Michigan were the two best teams all year long. That's all we said. We hyped up that game. When they played at the end of the year, it was number one versus number two, right? And going into that game, Michigan and Ohio State were undefeated. USC had lost a game early in the season to, to Oregon State, kind of a bad loss. So they were kind of sitting there at three. Florida, who ended up winning the title that year, right, had lost a game to Auburn earlier in the season. They were sitting under USC, I think, at four. Okay, when Ohio State beat Michigan, there was a lot of debate because it was a great game, a classic. Oh, these are clearly the two best teams. Lie. Okay, where should Michigan fall? Should Michigan stay at two above those other one-loss teams? Well, what happened was, and this is good, Michigan dropped under USC and Florida the following week because it's like, look, you lost later. That's kind of just how the BCS and AP even worked a little bit. So then it looked like Ohio State's probably playing USC. Well, then USC got upset, which was their fault. They let UCLA beat them. And because of that loss, they dropped to like number eight when it was all said and done as a two-loss team. And then it was like, well, is Michigan getting back in the title game or are we going to take the one-loss SEC champion Florida? Because Florida lost before Michigan, they kind of stayed up there, and we got the Ohio State-Florida championship game. And 90% of people that did their their bowl game pools that year had Ohio State winning the title, and they had Michigan winning the Rose Bowl over USC. And what happened? Ohio State and Michigan both got blown out by their opponents. So at the end of the day, the two best teams that year— was probably Florida and USC. But we didn't get that title game, did we? Maybe in a four-team playoff, we would have. But in the two-team format, that's what we got. And I think that that was the right matchup, right? USC didn't deserve to go to the title game that year with the two losses, even though, let's say maybe we would have known, well, USC's better. I mean, in reality, people got it wrong. But people thought Michigan should have rematched Ohio State. Michigan was not as good as USC. USC crushed Michigan. And Florida crushed Ohio State. But I still think they got the title game right for the most part. It should have been Ohio State and Florida. Ohio State deserved it. But my point is, is look at what how we were wrong, right? We were wrong about the eye test thing. Well, Ohio State and Michigan, they just looked like those two best teams. And nowadays, right, that was oh, like 13, 14 years ago, whatever it is at this point. And it's hard to imagine that given the SEC narratives we've been dealing with pretty much since that year, right, that 
the narrative could be that these two Big Ten teams were the best, but that happens every year now in the SEC. It's always like Alabama and Georgia, Alabama and somebody, Alabama, LSU. They're the two best teams, and even if they beat each other, we have to put them both in. We've seen that that's wrong before. It's failed us before, right? We're just too caught up in this SEC bias thing, and the SEC is the best, and a lot of times they have the best teams, but it's a five-power conference sport. It's not the SEC and then little conferences, at least not on paper. They're all in the same league, so they have to be treated semi-equally. Again, I'm okay with SEC strength of schedule and some of that stuff coming in as tiebreakers, but at the end of the day, you're all in these same leagues. If you accomplish more, you should get in. That's always been my shtick, and I'm really interested to see what actually happens this year? Because you can go back and listen to the Monday episode where I really break down the potential scenarios and like how we can't be hypocrites. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. You know, going into this week, we've got some games that are really interesting. I've talked a little bit about it, right? It's it's Georgia-Kentucky. It's a big game rankings-wise, but obviously I'm with a lot of people. I don't feel like Kentucky can win that game. If Kentucky did win that game, though, holy cow, would that change things, right? Because then Kentucky would have to lose twice to allow Georgia back in it. And then what's the scenario where Georgia, right, Georgia might lose that Kentucky game and then went out. They'd be 11-1, and one, and you might have this Kentucky, maybe, let's say Kentucky beats Georgia, but then they drop one game before the SEC title game, right? Or, even worse off, here's the other thing. Let's say Kentucky goes 12-0 and 0 into the SEC title game, and then they lose to, Georgia, to Alabama, I don't think you're going to hear a lot of people saying, well, Kentucky has to be in still. But if Georgia would have got their 12-0, they would get that argument. See, that's hypocritical also. Kentucky's still an SEC team. So that's even more hypocritical than the Big Ten thing, right? But everybody, a lot of people would probably say, oh, I'd rather have Georgia back in or let's take this team or that team. And it's like, hey, but my whole thing is be consistent with your argument. If, you're, if you believe two teams from one conference can get in, it can't just work for one conference or for only certain teams in that conference, right? Kentucky wasn't sexy preseason. It doesn't matter. If they go there undefeated, they're no different than a Georgia team that makes there. And probably this isn't going to happen because Georgia probably beats Kentucky and doesn't lose a game and they're, you know, but you get what I'm saying. I've gone too far on this, but it's really interesting how big of a deal this Kentucky-Georgia game is, the problem is, is most people just feel like Georgia's going to win and probably win handily, right? There's a reason I think the spread is 19 for that game. No one expects Kentucky to win. And even though Kentucky's like number 11, it would be a pretty big upset. Kentucky won, right? That would really, really shake things up in the SEC, right? I mean, big time. Because Alabama looks vulnerable, and now you're thinking... It's not crazy that Alabama could lose another game, right? I don't see it happening, but, you know, maybe Auburn gets them this year like they did in 2019. Maybe something happens. Now, if that were to happen and Texas A&M wins out, A&M's going to the SEC championship game, right? I, we talked on Monday. A&M's kicking themselves because they beat Alabama, but they already have two conference losses. And now Alabama has to go lose again for A&M's head-to-head to matter, right? A&M already has two conference losses. That sucks for them. They're kicking themselves. But can you imagine a scenario where if Alabama does drop another game and we get A&M, Georgia? Or can you imagine a scenario where it ends up being like A&M versus Kentucky? Holy cow, right? Or imagine a scenario, this is really crazy, right? Imagine a scenario where Alabama drops another game, which is, it's feasible. It's feasible, Maybe Georgia beats Kentucky and locks up the East, but then lets the Florida game get away from them. And whatever, just like Alabama, right? They go into the SEC title game with one loss. They still control their destiny. But then imagine if a two-loss A&M team is playing Georgia and all the other conferences are shaping up with to have maybe a one-loss champion or Cincinnati's out there, or you have that two-team Big Ten scenario, and then A&M wins the SEC with those two losses, I, they're they're not getting in, most likely, unless everybody had two losses and they were, you know, get the SEC tiebreaker thing. Imagine no SEC team is making the playoff. That would be crazy, right? So there's so many crazy scenarios that could play out. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the Big 12, right? Oklahoma looks like the best team, 
But Oklahoma State's still undefeated. They got Texas this week. And the crappy thing is, is it would take Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma twice, well, to go undefeated. But, you know, let's say Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma at the end of the year, but then wins the rematch. You know, the winner of the rematch is going to be the 12-1 and champ. And as I've said many times the last couple years, 12-1 and champs have like an 80% chance of them making the college football playoff. The only teams that are knocking out 12-1 and champs are other 12-1 and champs with better resumes and or undefeated conference champions. But I think, look, Oklahoma State's 12-1. and They deserve to be in the playoff, assuming they win the, the conference championship. They deserve to be in the playoff over a 12-1 and Georgia. Sorry. That's just, that's how it should work, okay? And don't, and if you're coming at me with the, what, so you don't, Georgia's better, they would beat them. Yeah, I can admit that's true and still say Oklahoma deserves to go. That's how I want the sports to work. Otherwise, you're basically telling Georgia, like, you don't, because we know how good you are, you don't have to win this game. But this other team does. Like, that's just, no, no, we can't have that. I'm against that. Anyway, like I said, Big 12 is really interesting to me. So is the Pac-12. Arizona, to me, Arizona State and Oregon control their destinies, especially Oregon. Because Oregon has that head-to-head over who we think might end up winning the Big 10. Okay, so Oregon's sitting pretty. They just got to win out. And I, I don't know why so many people just don't, they expect Oregon to drop another game. I, I don't know why that is. Like, but, but at the same time, everyone expects Ohio State to somehow come out of the Big 10. I mean, look at the roads for these two teams. I understand if you think at this point, even though Oregon beat Ohio State, that coming down the stretch, Ohio State's getting better, and maybe they're the better team. But look what Ohio State would have to go through. A pretty good Michigan State team that's undefeated right now. A pretty good Michigan team is undefeated right now. A really good Penn State team. And then maybe a really good Iowa in the in the Big Ten Championship game. And even though in every one of those matchups, I totally understand how you could say Ohio State's favored, that's a gauntlet. I mean, you expect Ohio State to go 4-0 or 5-0 in those games? That's that's a tough ask, even if they're better than all. That's just a tougher stretch where with Oregon, what are you really asking them to do? Go beat UCLA and Oregon State and then don't get upset because they're going to be favored in all of their games. I still think they're better than everyone coming up on their schedule. Roster-wise, coaching-wise, all that stuff. The only game that scares me a little bit is UCLA. Right, that there's a weirdness factor to Chip Kelly playing his old team. UCLA is kind of physical, and they have a tricky offense, so it's going to take superior game planning and talent performance to beat UCLA. But I still think UCLA is going to be a three or four loss team. You're right; they're they're improving a lot. They're a lot better, but they're not there yet. And Arizona State, right, same thing. I wouldn't be shocked. You know, Arizona State could lose to Utah this weekend. Wouldn't be shocking, but Arizona State will be slightly favored in all their games. We could easily have a Pac-12 championship game between two one-loss teams, in which case the winner's probably going to the playoff. It would be a top 10 matchup at that point. And then I'm also really interested in what's going to go on with the ACC. Because remember, Clemson, well, Clemson only has one conference loss, so they're going to win out and head-to-head if they you know, beat Wake Forest. They already beat Boston College. I mean, imagine if Wake Forest got into that ACC championship game with one loss or somehow undefeated. Like, it's going to be crazy. Even if they do drop the Clemson game, maybe Clemson drops another game. I mean, is Clemson going to win out from here? I don't know. Just because they're better than most of the teams they're going to play, like just the way they've looked. I mean, Clemson should have lost to Boston College. They really should have. Um, But they were able to pull that out. So, I'm really interested. The SEC is almost my least interested conference race right now. Unless Kentucky beats Georgia, then I'm super interested, right? Like, wow, what's going on? We, I love chaos. College football is awesome when there's more chaos, right? And at the end of the day, you're going to get a playoff between the teams that deserve to be there, right? So it's just crazy to see how it all plays out. But those are some epic conference races we have going right now. I know that I'm against, like, oh, all we do is talk about the playoff and not the New Year's Six, but right now, I mean, there's like 15, 16 teams that are technically alive. Not all of them outright control their own destiny, but there's a lot of teams that they just got to keep winning and hope some things fall their way. Like, you have it in your hands, right? Wake Forest, Oklahoma State, these teams are technically 
absolutely alive for the college football playoff. I don't expect them to get there, right? If you're predicting the future, you're like, you see Oklahoma, maybe even losing, Oklahoma State, sorry, maybe even losing this week to Texas and then losing maybe twice to Oklahoma. Wake Forest, you're like, is Wake Forest really going to go undefeated? Or they, they can't be that talented, right? I don't, I don't think they will. But technically, the opportunity is in front of them. So let's just see what happens. Cincinnati is still out there being interesting, right? They go undefeated. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're number three in the AP right now. SMU is playing good. They're going to get one more ranked win. They probably then play possibly, I don't know if this is possible based on the divisions, but then they would play maybe SMU again. They could get two more ranked wins. I mean, if that happens with this Notre Dame victory, it's going to be hard to leave them out too. So really interesting narratives. And then we're also setting up for, you know, a lot of teams that if they don't make the playoff, you're going to get some really interesting New Year's Six games, which I'm super excited for. Imagine a Rose Bowl between Penn State and Oregon. That'd be awesome. Or Arizona State and Iowa or something, you know, like some really cool games. You know, the only type of teams that don't play well in the New Year's Six Bowls are the teams that thought they were going to go to the playoff, right? It's when Ohio State's, Alabama's, Georgia's, when they think they're on the verge of making the playoff and then they only end up in the Sugar Bowl, that's when those games can, okay, then players sit out, right? And and stuff happens, right? It happened last year with Florida. It's, it's happened to a lot of teams. But if you got Kentuckys, you've got Iowa's, you've got Arizona State's, Oregon's, teams that would love to make the playoff but aren't going to be so disappointed and give up on their New Year's Six game if they lose, you're setting up for a really good finale to the college football season. Epic conference championship games and epic New Year's Six games. Anyway, I want to get to a completely different topic right now. And let's talk about LSU for a second, right? Pretty much everyone is thinking that Erdogan is going to lose his job probably before the season even ends. Some people thought it was going to happen last week. And a lot of predictions are LSU probably gets smoked by Florida this week, and then they fire him after that game. Um, is that the right decision? I don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, LSU is one of those programs with super high championship standards, and these last two years are just not acceptable by their by their standard, right? And I understand if it keeps getting worse, you don't see it improving you got to do it, right? I think Florida State was right when they fired Taggart after two years. There's been a lot of coaching decisions. The, the, the difference here is like this guy literally had two really good seasons. 2018 was a good season for LSU. They win a Fiesta Bowl, right? I'm pretty sure. And then they have one of the best teams in college football history in 2019 win the national championship. And since then, they haven't been great. And people are losing faith in Coach O because it looks like, okay, he just had a great quarterback and a great staff in 2019, and it was a lot more of that than him. You combine that with the fact that LSU in composite roster rankings is the fifth most talented team in college football. Based on who's on the team, they're the fifth best. I got into an argument with a guy on Instagram. You know, we, we were talking kind of about Clemson and their transfer rule, and everyone's like, oh, Clemson's stupid. And I was like, look, Clemson has a culture they're trying to uphold, and I kind of agree with Dabo not okay, Clemson's having a not as good of a year as they've had recently. If they abandon some of their principles, that could mess with the culture. And I've seen firsthand at, as a Florida State fan what happens when culture gets away. And a lot of people are were clapping back at me like, dude, what, did Clemson invent culture? Culture is irrelevant. You go get good players, you're going to win, right? Clemson lost to two transfers in the last two years. And I understand that a little bit. At the end of the day, you need really good players. But I think the biggest argument against that is look at what Clemson did all those other years where Clemson passed up on a lot of five-star guys and said, we'd rather take the three, four-star guy, develop him, and get him in our program. Of course, they had a lot of great five-star guys, but Clemson was always willing to go for a fit for their program more than stars. And a lot of times, it was both, right? Trevor Lawrence fit the culture, fit the program, and was also phenomenal, right? Travis Etienne, they had a lot of those guys. But on defense especially, right, you've got more of your fourth-year, fifth-year senior linebackers starting at them as opposed to that guy that is going to leave as a, as a sophomore, like the Ohio State linebackers or Alabama's that we've seen, or Georgia, right? And I think another big point to that is, like, look at LSU. If culture didn't matter then LSU, and coaching didn't matter as much, then LSU would probably be undefeated right now or would be a top-five team because talent-wise, they have rosters – that are very comparable to Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. They have those guys. 
Florida State, Clemson, Alabama wanted a ton of guys that are currently playing for LSU, yet LSU is maybe the worst team in the SEC West. It's insane. So from all those standpoints, that comes down to coaching, and it, I, you do see why LSU might get rid of Orgeron. It, it makes sense to me. When are they going to do it? I don't know. But what's hard for LSU is the LSU job most likely is going to come open. Well, guess what job is already open? USC. And I think these two programs are going to get into it right now. And what's a better job? And you can totally make arguments for both. It just depends on what you consider the better job and what factors for you determine what is the better job. I got to tell you, I think USC is the better job. Now, USC and LSU are both unique in that they both need the right fit. I don't think anyone just walks into LSU and wins. I don't think anyone just walks into USC and wins. You have to be a great coach to get these programs to run at full efficiency, but you also got to be the right fit. LSU has a little bit of that Louisiana, like they have a unique culture there. That's why Ed O, who I don't think is a great coach, was able to get a staff together, get some players together, and go on a championship run at LSU. And USC needs that LA guy, right? When I talked about the USC job coming open, I talked about how I was excited because if USC does get the right guy, that program can roll. And if that program is rolling, that will send shockwaves through college football because Alabama, Clemson, a lot of these programs, Ohio State, they they go in and they just snatch the best California guys, right? Um, Bryce Young, Alabama's quarterback, California guy. DJ Ugaongavle, Clemson's quarterback, California guy. The right guys at USC, he's going to keep those guys in California. And then if USC is rolling the way Pete Carroll had him going, that's that's going to be pretty interesting, right? So, And as a college football fan, I just would like to see that. I think the Pac-12 really gets back to respect if, if USC can be the best team. If USC can rise to power, or at least get to Oregon's level, and Oregon not have a drop-off, and UCLA still ascends, Arizona State's doing what they're doing, that, that's going to be better for the sport overall, right? Um, so I think USC is also a better job for, this is the main reason. I think if you go to USC, you know, especially if you're that LA fit guy, you're the right guy, you know, Hey, I'm in a recruiting hotbed. And if I get this thing rolling, I pretty much without a doubt will be the best guy in my conference, right? You're basically battling with Oregon. You're definitely going to be the best team in your division, right? Because I think USC has a little more potential than UCLA, even if UCLA gets good. UCLA being good, I think, only helps USC because if that rivalry kind of gets back on track, then I think all of the Southern California recruits are going to want to stay at those two schools as opposed to being more open to getting plucked out and going to Texas A&M, going to Alabama, going to Clemson, going to Ohio State, right? So where LSU, now LSU's phenomenal job. You can win right away at LSU. What LSU has going for them that they could pitch to a coach is, look, the last three coaches here have won national championships. Saban won a national championship. Les Miles was there for what? Like almost 15 years, won a national championship, played for another national championship, had some other really good teams during that run. Ed Orgeron won a national championship. The last three guys have won titles there. USC can't say that. They haven't won a title since Pete Carroll, and they've been doing coaching carousels ever since. So, it is very interesting. The hard thing is, though, like I said, if USC gets rolling, they're kind of immediately going to be the top dog in their division and their conference, which sets them up for college football playoff runs and ultimately national championship runs. At the very least, big time New Year's Six runs, all that stuff. Where at LSU, you can be rolling at LSU and at the end of the day, look who's in your division, Nick Saban. You're always going to struggle to win the division, which ultimately lets you win the conference and get to a playoff and or championship while Nick Saban is at Alabama. It's just super hard. Oh, and then even if you manage to beat Saban, well, Fisher's at A&M. They're really good, right? Ole Miss is a, like, Lane Kiffin's got them going. Sam Pittman's got Arkansas going. Like, you might be better. I, you know, when, when LSU's at peak efficiency, they're probably better than Ole Miss, Mississippi State, but there's just more potential to lose. There's so many great coaches in that division. It's a harder job. And look at the standard. If someone goes to USC and is consistently winning Pac-12 championships, maybe they're not over that hump yet of winning national championships, but you get to the playoff a couple times, you're probably not going to lose your job, right? USC would, would take that for now. 
And maybe after 12 years of that, they finally get rid of you and think, well, we want a guy that can actually get us to the title hump. LSU doesn't work that way. They're, it's Southern football. They're a little more strict. And what, 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 for what Fisher's doing at A&M, for example, that's not good enough. Right? You go to LSU and you beat Saban a couple times. No, you got to basically go make the college football playoff and win national championships or you're out. Look at Orgeron. He did that. He went to a Fiesta Bowl and then won a national championships. And now two mediocre years in a row is going to get his ass canned. So if I'm a coach, I'm way more scared. If I go to the LSU job, look, there's a 50% chance I'm only going to be there four to five years because what am I going to, even if I win a national championship, if I have any sort of drop-off after that, I'm probably gone. And they reload and try to do it again with another guy. Where USC, it's probably okay if you pull off some of the things you're supposed to do. You win a Pac-12 championship. You have like a 12-1 and team. You make a playoff appearance or something. And then you have like maybe an 8-4 and four season after that. As long as you kind of can bounce back, you probably have a little bit more job security. And if you do get it rolling, if you do win a playoff game, you win a national championship or something, I think it's easier to repeat that at USC because you can start to maybe dominate the Pac-12 a lot easier than anyone's ever going to be able to dominate the SEC. Alabama doesn't even dominate the SEC as much as they could. I mean, what they've done the SEC is phenomenal. No one's ever going to match that. As soon as Saban leaves, you're probably going to get back to the pre-Saban era where, okay, Florida wins it one year, then LSU, then a then a Georgia, then an AM. It just cycles because all those teams are really, really good. Those coaches are good. Saban's just been that, like, you know, one in a million godlike figure as a coach that's been able to do all that, right? So I really don't know. It, it is an interesting debate when comparing these two jobs. But if you're LSU, it's a little sketchy going that, okay, we're open at the same time that USC is open. It's possible Miami opens. Now, both these jobs are better than Miami as it stands today. Miami just is not a good job, but it's a big brand. And it's crazy that I saw, I think Brett McMurphy tweeted out something that, hey, it's possible USC, Miami, and LSU could all be like, not, could all not be bowl eligible at the same time, which would be the first time that happened in years, like maybe the 60s. All three of those brands basically being down together. That's crazy. Compile that with, you know, Florida State's also down. There's some big brands that are in the tank right now. It's pretty nuts. Um, but that's college football. There's always big brands that are down recovering. And then you've got Alabama's and Ohio State's and that are still rolling. And it, it goes in waves. But if all of those jobs come open, it's going to be a very interesting offseason and coaching searches. And, you know, at the end of the day, USC is going to be going after a lot of the guys LSU is going over. I mean, if LSU opens today, okay, who are your candidates it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I think Franklin, but I, I think Franklin goes to USC before LSU. I, I really, I, I think he makes that decision. And then you're looking at some of the other guys. I know LSU wants Jimbo. And let me say this about the whole Jimbo LSU thing. I think most people write that off as like, look, Jimbo's not leaving LSU or A&M. His buyout's huge. He's already built something there. And I think that is true. And I, I agree with that. Ultimately, I don't think Fisher leaves A&M. For LSU, but let me tell you something about Jimbo Fisher that Florida State fans know, people that really know Jimbo Fisher know. He has always coveted the LSU job. That's kind of like his place. There's a really soft spot in Jimbo's heart for LSU. I think he's always, at the end of the day, that's the one place that he would go where he could never be taken from. He's always going to have the chance to be taken from a place, whether it's for a better check, a better situation. But LSU is the one place where I think he would love to call home. And even if things weren't going as good there as maybe greener pastures somewhere else, he would stay there. I can tell you as a Florida State fan, we had to pay Fisher and give him raises twice at Florida State just because LSU was potentially coming and calling. This was in 2015 and 16 right? We were fresh off a national championship in a playoff appearance and another New Year's Six Bowl appearance at the end of 2015 when LSU was flirting with, hey, we might get rid of less Miles, but we want Fisher. Fisher negotiates for a raise and Miles gets to stay at LSU. Then in 2016, when they did get rid of less Miles, Fisher used that to negotiate another raise at Florida State. And let me tell you, it was straight up like, I will leave for the LSU job if you don't get like, but you need to make me stay. 
And I don't have a problem with that. It's negotiations, like whatever leverage for a raise. But it made Florida State fans a little bit salty. And then in 2017, when things fell apart, same thing happened with AM. And at that point, you know, Florida State wasn't doing as good in 2017. And Fisher tried to do the same crap again. Hey, AM's throwing a crap ton of money at me. Um, I'm probably going to go there unless you match that. We were like, dude, third year in a row, we're done with this game of leveraging. Like, are you committed to the program or not? Fisher goes to AM, which for at the time was the craziest deal $75 million 10 year contract, all guaranteed. Insane. And after being at AM, even last year, I think the rumors was that LSU was kind of poking at him and they gave him another extension and raise on top of that to kind of lock him in. And even with all that, there is a slight chance that if LSU comes open, Jimbo's going to listen because I think that is his, his place where he wants to be. Ultimately, I don't think the timing's going to work out, right? Because it would be really hard for him to leave AM this year, especially if they end up like finishing 10 and 2, 9 and 3, have a good season. They beat Bama. I don't know. He's already built up some stuff there. They've got a really good quarterback coming in next year, you know, but I will say, knowing Jimbo Fisher, there is always a chance. But okay, let's say Jimbo's not going to be the guy. Who does LSU want? I mean, I'm hearing rumors that they want maybe uh, Napier from Louisiana. But I got to tell you, I mean, that's always risky. Like, these coaches that come out of the group of five, most of them have not been successful. Look at, I mean, like, Urban Meyer is the best example, right? At the time when he went from Utah to Florida, that was a group of five school, Utah, at, at the time, basically. Um, but look at the success stories. I mean, I guess Chris Peterson, he eventually finally left Boise State and then had success at Washington. I actually think, and I've said this before, that Peterson's one of the best coaches ever. Um, I have him up there with the Sabins, Urban Myers. He just never put himself at a program where he could like win a national title or anything. But I mean, the dude took Washington to the playoff. The dude had Washington winning Pac-12 with not the best recruiting rankings, right? So he's a great coach. Um, and that's another hat or name I've been throwing in the hat for both USC and LSU. And first of all, I think that guy would go to USC before LSU, but I've said this when I talked about the USC job. I don't think he's coming back to coach at all. So that's not really an option. Um, and like I said, these group of five guys, look, Tom Herman, Houston, well, that didn't work at Texas. Willie Taggart did the South Florida, then goes to Oregon for a year, fails miserably at Florida State, right? Now Florida State's trying out Norvell, another group of five guy, right? Justin Fuente was at Memphis, and he's okay at Virginia Tech. I actually think he's a good coach, but the dude can't recruit. So... You know, he's been on the hot seat in the last couple years. And if Virginia Tech has a bad season this year, he might get canned. Looks like he's got them doing fairly well again, though. So these group of five, Scott Frost, obviously, right? Phenomenal UCF. He's the prodigy. Oh, he comes to a school where he's the alumni. Well, they it's year four and they're three and four still. So I, you know, ugh. So does LSU really want to take a risk on a group of five guy? Now, I'll tell you, they might not have a choice. Because some big proven name, like a Franklin, right? Bob Stoops is not coming. Like, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked if Bob Stoops took a big-time job, right? Same as I was telling Florida State fans two years ago. Oh, Bob Stoops, we're going to... No, we're not. I don't think that's happening. And then look at Franklin. Like, he is a good option, but you're competing with the USC job and also Penn State. I mean, if I, I've talked about this before. If Penn State really cares about football, they do not let Franklin get taken away. They give him whatever money they have to, whatever other guarantees he needs, whether it's salary for staff, money for facilities, whatever type of stuff he needs because Penn State acts like they're a big football power. They want to be up there with Ohio State in the Big Ten. Prove it. Prove it. Don't let your coach walk away. Don't let a proven, excellent football coach who recruits well, who's got you in the best position you've been in since the 80s and 90s Paterno days, don't let that guy get taken by another program. Otherwise, you're basically saying we're not at that level as those schools. We're not in USC, Ohio State, LSU category. Um, but if you're LSU, you got to take him from Penn State and also convince him that your job is better than USC. I mean, just, if you're Franklin, I mean, just think about it. Do you want to go play Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban every single year? Or do you want to maybe go to USC where you're now kind of the top coach in the conference? Like, yeah, maybe Cristobal, but he's not in your division. So, I mean, and you know that if you get USC rolling, you can probably have more of a ceiling than Oregon does. So it's really interesting. I mean, 
I got to tell you, LSU, be, be worried. You know, I'll tell you as a Florida State fan, these things can get, away from, can get away from you. And you can bring a guy in, right? Maybe you bring a Napier in. You bring one of these group of five guys in. It could hit. You could have the next Urban Meyer. You could have the next Chris Peterson. Or you could just have a guy like Tom Herman who's just going to keep you at like that seven and five, eight and four. You never really get over the hump. Or you could have a guy that comes in like Willie Tiger and just drops the ball completely because some of these guys can't go from group of five to power five, especially group of five to SEC West power five. It's just another animal, right? The recruiting, the game planning, the week to week, the, the grind. It's just, it's so hard. I, I would, if I'm an SEC West team, Maybe outside of a Sam Pittman scenario, I'm only gonna. I'd rather hire an assistant who's been at a big time program, right? And I, I I've heard like Bill O'Brien, right? Alabama's guy. I, you know, there's just not a lot of names out there that are home runs. I mean, the last few years in college football, there haven't been, right? Urban Meyer's not coming back. I don't think so. Bob Stoops isn't coming back. There's just not a lot of names out there that are like. Like, when was the last time we had an absolute sexy name hire? Probably Harbaugh at Michigan. Even that hasn't worked out to what we thought, right? And I think people overhyped that in the sense of Michigan was never really had the ceiling Ohio State did, you know, maybe. But was 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 Harbaugh really going to come into Michigan and turn them into a top four program and go head-to-head with Meyer at Ohio State? I don't think so. I think they have the opportunity to jump Ohio State here in the next three to five years because I don't, not a huge fan of Ryan Day, and I don't know if he can keep Ohio State's thing going or not. But you know, he was never going to beat Meyer consistently, at least at Michigan. But he came pretty close a few times, and we'll see what happens going forward. Um, you know, maybe I guess when Jimbo goes to A and M, you're like, okay, well, A and M, maybe they can be A and M now with this guy. But since then, there, there's not a lot of guys out there. I mean, unless somehow you actually could get Nick Saban. Right, which is impossible unless you know. I just there's not names out there. Whether it's USC, whether it's uh, LSU, there's no one out there that you can get that's like slam dunk. You're you're guaranteed to be good with this guy. I don't know. I don't know. Super excited to see how it plays out, though. Right? I talked, you know, like a month ago when the USC job came up and how this could change college football big time. They get the right guy. LSU too, right? LSU could come back. LSU could make some decisions that they stay down. And if LSU stays down, that's scary for, for LSU fans because there's other teams that will take advantage of that, right? I can tell you right now, as a Florida State fan, from a recruiting perspective, it's really going to help us if LSU fires their coach this year. There's some guys that I think Florida State could flip in the recruiting battles if LSU has a bad year. Now, Florida State's not having the best year themselves, but they weren't, weren't supposed to have a good year. And they're still building. And the recruits that are committed to Florida State, for the most part, it seems like they understand that it's a rebuild and they're going to come in and be those guys. So it's really, really interesting. Um, looking forward to it. Anyway, that, that's all I have for today. Some interesting topics. Again, uh, e- email me. Let me know. I want to hear what you guys think. What's the better job? LSU, USC, um, just broadly. And given the current state of college football, what's the better job, right? Email me. Let's talk college football at gmail.com or if it's easier you can follow my instagram page the college football classics all one word you can shoot me dms on there i've been going back and forth with people on there a lot the last month we've got the account up to a thousand followers obviously we're posting old old games some cool lsu florida games going up this week i've been throwing up some oregon cal games texas oklahoma state uh, Alabama, Mississippi State. So yeah, check out the page. If you love old highlights like I do, it's a lot of fun. And building a community on there, getting in group chats, all that stuff. So reach out. Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening, guys.